You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hey. I bet you're tired of hearing our voices and want to hear a guest, but it's just us again. Maybe next time we'll bring someone on to talk to you. (laughs) But today we're going to talk a little bit about interest rates, which have definitely been dominating the news cycle a lot. Today is actually November 3rd when we're recording. Yesterday, the Federal Reserve increased the federal funds rate by 0.75% again, which is several times in a row. The um, 30-year mortgage is like above 7% on average at this point. So people are are talking a lot about this. So today we wanted to chat about a few things that are relevant with interest rate increases, some things that you can maybe be thinking about doing because interest rates are different, and also focusing on some of the good things that come with higher interest rates. Because yes, it means, you know, higher costs of borrowing, but there are also some things that are good that you get interest on that you know are maybe yielding a higher percentage because interest rates have been increasing so there's there's lots of things to think about here and we're going to talk a bit about how those changes those broader changes affect different people's financial plans so without further ado i think we're going to talk a little bit about the good first because why not talk about good things first start positive yeah i think anytime there's change people you know get I don't know, skittish or whatever the right word is. I'm not an English major, but uh, you know, we're apprehensive to change when change can ultimately benefit us in the long run. Um, you know, and, and as humans, we adapt pretty well. So we've been spoiled over the last, you know, 12 years really with low interest rates, and that makes you know borrowing money very inexpensive, which has been you know great in a number of of aspects of our, our lives, but um, you know it also is has some drawdowns. Now the interest rates are a little bit higher. Arguably, you know for for some of you it's like the highest they've ever been in your adult lives. But you know this is arguably kind of back to normal ranges, if you will. You know having some interest is a good thing for for the overall world and economy. Uh, in my opinion, you know, savings accounts actually pay you a little bit of interest now. Now, your typical bank savings account is still peanuts, uh, or not even just the crumbs at the bottom of the bag. But um, if you open a high interest savings account, you know, typically those online banks, if you just Google high interest savings, you'll find plenty of options out there. Make sure they're FDIC insured, so it's a real bank. But most of them are paying around two and a half, maybe even close to three percent interest when we're recording this. So that's nice. You know, you're getting some some interest on your 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 money that's sitting there for emergencies. Um, CDs, you know, they're the rates are a little bit higher than they once were, um, but you know, I would say maybe not quite as appealing as the high interest savings, just because they're not quite as liquid. And there's other things like government bonds that are are you playing that are paying higher interest rates than than most CDs that that are a little bit more liquid in many cases. So bonds. That's one where, for the better part of the last decade, a lot of people were saying bonds are dead. They don't have a place in a portfolio. They're not beneficial anymore, yada, 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 yada. 
um, just because they weren't really paying much interest. You know, when, a couple of years ago or a year or two ago, the 10-year Treasury yield was below 1%, um, which is like nothing. You know, you're not getting anything on your money. Uh, now, looking at Treasuries, so there's a bunch of different types of government bonds. There's Treasury bills, which are one year or less. Um, you know, the four-week Treasury bill is paying 3.5%. You literally lend the government money for four weeks and you get it back plus 3.5% annualized interest. Uh, the three-month is paying 4%, six-month is 4.6%, the one-year 4.75%. Now, of course, all these numbers will be a little different by the time you actually hear this. Um, they could be higher, they could be lower, who knows. Um, now, looking at the, so beyond one year, this is interesting, looking at the two-year, it's 4.7%, one year was 4.75, two years 4.7, 10 year is 4.15, 30 year is 4.17. So it kind of peaks at the one year at the moment. Now, long-term bond rates tend to lag a little bit. Short-term rates, you know, they, they don't adjust quite as rapidly. But like right now, if you're buying government bonds, you know, if you can get a higher rate on a one-year bond versus a 10, 20, or 30-year bond, you know, it seems like the one year is a no-brainer. But if you're of the mindset that inflation is going to come down, maybe interest rates are going to drop in the future, maybe you do want to lock in that 30-year rate at 4%. Who knows? Um, the other thing to consider, and not trying to speculate on where interest rates are headed because that's you know predicting the future, which is impossible, but at least in the U.S., for developed countries, we have a pretty favorable interest rate on our government bonds and we have for a while now you know looking at some other developed countries the UK their 10-year bond and ours is is paying uh, you know about 4.1 or so the UK is paying three and a half percent Japan is a quarter of a percent on their 10-year Australia is 3.9 Germany is 2.2 um, Canada is 3.4 France 2.75, Switzerland 1.2, you know the list goes on. But you know most developed uh, countries are, are are paying lower interest rates on their government bonds than the U.S. So you know one could argue, you know, you know people from other countries are buying U.S. government bonds because they're paying a higher interest rate, which is on those longer term ones maybe putting some downward pressure on it, supply and demand. I mean that's what drives bond yields is supply and demand. Um, so that could be, you know, keeping the, the longer term bonds from rising higher than the shorter term, but time will tell. Now, mutual funds uh, are a little bit different. You know, we've seen bond mutual funds come down in value about 15% this year, which isn't fun, is it, Rochelle? No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like when we talk about well-diversified portfolios, you know, people approaching retirement age, a lot of times we depend on bonds to be a bit more stable. And they've come down less than stock-based mutual funds, which is good, but haven't necessarily provided the insulation that we would want for retirees and for people who are a little bit older. But the reason that mutual funds behave differently than bonds themselves is because those mutual funds have already purchased bonds in the past that had a lower yield. So they are holding existing bonds that were issued last year and the year before and eight, nine, ten years ago. And you can't sell those bonds for the price that you purchased them for if you could buy a brand new bond and get a higher yield. So if the yield is lower, 
then the price of the bond itself will decline because it's less desirable. So those mutual funds that hold existing bonds, like those have gone down. But those mutual funds are now also buying bonds at this higher yield, which means that, you know, longer term, they have more value, I think. And they have, you know, more more yield potential for for the long term, which is great. You know, if we see interest rates go down in the future, and now we're holding bonds in our bond mutual fund that has 4%, 4.5%, and new bonds are 2%, that means you know the value of that mutual fund increases over time. So the, it's really kind of complicated how all of these things play out. But just in general, like new bonds are being issued at a higher interest rate than we've seen in a long time, and they are very attractive. Yeah, very attractive compared to what the older ones were. Um, and yeah, again, trying to predict the future, trying to predict interest rates, good luck. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's pretty hard uh, to do consistently and accurately. Um, so, but but like Rochelle said, if you know interest rates eventually plateau, you know, and uh, you know it'll, there'll be a lag effect. But all of your portfolios, the ETFs and mutual funds that you have, as they cycle through their older bonds and get the newer ones, you're you're going to get more interest on your portfolio as a result, which is great. You know, that's what we want out of our bonds. We want them to pay us interest. That's why we hold them. And then, you know, if, if interest rates come down at all in the future, those older bonds, you know, will, will rise in value. So you'll be getting the interest payment plus the, the appreciation in price. Um, so it works both ways. Uh, but yeah, I think for, for longer term investors and, you know, people, getting closer to retirement or heck even in retirement um, you know having some some actual interest on your bonds now is a good thing for investors um, mortgages are uh, you know a different story now a lot of you who have owned a home for at least a year have locked in an interest rate close to or even below three percent which is phenomenal you're you're sitting pretty right now and probably have uh, you know, zero desire to, to leave that home unless you absolutely have to for, for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, your home has risen substantially in value over the last handful of years. Now, it's probably come down a little in value since last spring, um, but, but not a ton. I think nationally, the average is less than 5% decline from its peak in May of, of 2022. Um, you know, again, time will tell uh, what happens in the future with housing. But, um, but you know, thing, housing prices have cooled a little bit. You know, that's, that's a fact. Um, but, uh, you, you know, looking at those mortgages, now kind of transitioning a little to, to the bad, if you will, or I guess still a silver lining. You know, you bought a home. You're paying 3% interest on your mortgage. If you were to go out and buy that same home today, or, or maybe rephrase it, for the same monthly or if you were to go buy the same home today, it would cost you about 70% more at today's mortgage rates to get that same home. So it's going to be challenging for many buyers to go out and buy uh, a similar home for a similar price. Um, you know, but from a historical standard, these are normal mortgage rates. Like the early 2000s housing bubble was built on the back of a 7% mortgage rate. We've just become accustomed to these super historically low interest rates that it feels like a slap to the face that now 
mortgages are going for like a normal amount, you know, six, 7%, uh, potentially higher. Like go ask your parents what their first mortgage interest rate was. I'm guessing it was double digits. Um, yeah, the mortgages are, are, it's not supposed to be that cheap to get a house. Now that has some adverse consequences for people, you know, that wanted the, you know, had aspirations to buy the million dollar home and now it's a little bit unaffordable um, given where interest rates are. But, you know, unless you're making upwards of $500,000, you know, most people shouldn't be buying a million dollar home to begin with. So we just have to work on resetting our expectations and, uh, and, you know, and being a little bit more realistic moving forward. Those of you who did lock in those low interest rates, congratulations. That's fantastic. You know, but, but we, we definitely got a little bit lucky with uh, how low they were for, for the past handful of years or decade, really. Yeah. I think for a lot of folks that did lock in, you know, those really low rates, it's probably worth considering if you are planning to move in the next couple of years, you can think about keeping it as a rental. And this is not something we necessarily recommend, but definitely something to evaluate. Like if if you have a home, if the mortgage rate's fixed at two and a half percent and you think that you can rent it for something that covers all of your costs plus a little bit, like it, it might be something worth considering. And everyone's financial situation is different. So you may not be able to do that. You might not be cut out to be a landlord, but definitely something to consider because it makes it easier to rent out your home and, and cover your costs if you start with a really low interest rate. Um, like Corey said, I think we're, we're kind of like shifting somewhat into the bad <laughs> at this point. So, you know, we have the good side where if you had a mortgage already at a very low interest rate, that's great. Um, it could be that at some point if houses, if, if prices correct a little bit more than they have so far, it's possible that you might be underwater on your house at some point, especially if you use like a physician home loan and you put very little down. Um, so definitely, you know, kind of evaluate where you're at with your, your housing situation in general. And maybe you don't need an upgrade. You know, maybe you were like, this is going to be a starter home and we're going to like resell it in two or three or four years. Maybe you don't need to. Maybe you can hold on to it and live there for a little bit longer. But with mortgage interest rates being higher, I think like Corey said, definitely important to put that in a historic, like historical context. Sure, they're higher than they were before. They're not necessarily like abnormally high in a, like a historical context. So you probably do need to adjust your budget if you're looking at buying a new home. We can't necessarily, like if you were planning on buying an eight hundred dollars or $900,000 house and you hadn't done it quite yet because you weren't quite ready financially or whatever it was, that might not be the budget anymore. And I think a lot of times our expectations of what we want or need are maybe a little bit more than what they need to be. So if you can make some adjustments to your expectations, if you can start looking at a lower price point, I think that's a great idea. It also may not be the time. Like it, it could be that renting is more feasible for you. And, and that's something, you know, you really have to take a look at your overall financial picture. Like are we going to be here for a while? You know, do we have the income level to support the house that we want? Do we want to maybe take a little bit of time just to save up some additional cash so we have a larger down payment so this is more doable? There's lots of things to be taken into consideration, but more than anything, I think it's important to do the math when you're thinking about these really, really, really big purchases. And that might mean, you know, you look at what current mortgage rates are and you do all of the math of like, if I bought a house at this point price point, 
I put down this dollar amount, what would my monthly mortgage payment be with the homeowner's insurance, with the property taxes, because you have to pay all of those too. Like, would there be some increase to my utility cost? You also need to work some money into your budget for potential, you know, things that happen when you own a home. Like, your water heater breaks. It's not your landlord's problem. It's your problem at that point. So if you can do that and come up with a number, let's say, you know, like that number is $4,000 a month. It's your mortgage. It's your HOAs if you have them. It's, you know, all the property taxes, everything like that. And then if you compare it to what your current housing expenses, which would be rent, utilities, anything like that, and let's say that's like $2,000 a month. Well, now we're doubling our housing cost. Can you save $2,000 per month every month comfortably? Like if you can comfortably, <laughs> you may be in a position where you can take down, like, take on a like $4,000 a month housing cost. But if not, you're just going to put yourself in a situation where you are stretched thin every month because when you take on that mortgage it's not something that's temporary like that that is your cost moving forward for housing and it it's going I I don't want people to automatically assume that they're going to be able to refinance in like a year and it's going to be a lower rate and I've heard that from people that are buying and like they're hearing that from their lenders like oh they told us like we can just refinance later when rates go down don't count on that like you don't know that that's going to happen and neither does your mortgage lender they don't know that either they shouldn't be telling you that like there's a potential that you can refinance if rates go down but there's no guarantee that the rates do go down so that's it yeah, be careful about that. Don't fall into that trap. Yeah, the housing, I mean, we could spend hours on housing in general. It's a very interesting dynamic we're in just with, you know, the supply and demand side of things, the costs, interest rates, etc. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if mortgage rates come down just because there's like no demand for mortgages at the moment. No one's refinancing. Not many people are buying new homes. Um, builders aren't building new homes at the moment on a broad scale. So if mortgage companies want to stay solvent, then yeah, they, they might have to lower rates. But at the same time, I could also see rates staying where they're at or going higher. So it's, it's again, hard to predict the future. Um, like Rochelle said, don't bank on, oh, they're just 7% now, but a year from now they'll be lower. No, that's not, you know, make sure you can afford this this one. Um, the other thing that might be easier and, and more under your control, you know, a lot of these variables are out of your control. We can't control interest rates, can't control tax rates, can't control, you know, a lot of things. Um, uh, can't control housing prices. You know, that's a market driven thing. Can't control what the stock market's going to do. Um, but it might be more feasible to raise your income. You know, are you in a type of position where you can just pick up extra shifts here and there and, and work a little bit more? Are there opportunities to renegotiate at your existing job? Are there opportunities to look at another job opportunity? Um, relocating. I think we talked about this a couple months ago, the, the cost of living differences and geographic arbitrage in different markets. You know, you can probably make more money in the Midwest, which is a lower cost of living area than you could in some of the major coastal markets. Um, so are, are and we, housing are prices are so much lower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So are we married to Southern California or the Bay Area or New York or the Northeast or, you know, or, or, or are we content going to, to somewhere else? Um, you know, there's a lot of factors at play here, not just financial ones, of course, but there, there's some things to consider. Um, 
you know, if if we if we're really adamant about you know buying that house that we want, but it's you know now almost twice as expensive from a monthly cost standpoint as it would have been a year ago at a 2.75% interest rate. Um, now, adjustable rate mortgages, if you have one of those, which if, you, if you've purchased a home within you know more than a year ago, I'm guessing you have a fixed rate mortgage. There's really no reason to have a, an arm at two and a half percent when you can get two and a half on a 30-year fix but um, if you if you do have an adjustable rate mortgage you know and and it's currently in that fixed lower period um, usually you know if you get a 5-1 arm it's fixed for the first five years if you get a 7-1 arm it's fixed for the first seven years um, it's uh, but then after that point it goes variable and if rates are higher your mortgage rate's going to adjust up, which means your monthly payment's going to adjust up. So brace yourself for that. Start building that into the budget. Now, if you're buying a house now, you may decide to take a gamble and go with an adjustable rate mortgage because odds are the, the the fixed period for the first you know five years or whatever duration you get on that mortgage will be a little bit lower than a, a 30-year fixed. But after that five-year period, it's going to go variable, and there's a chance rates could be even higher than they are today. There's also a chance it could go lower. So um, you got to assess your circumstances, of course, uh, to to make that determination if it's appropriate for you. Um, but any any type of variable debt, you know, just buyer beware. There, there's a chance that. If you currently hold it, the rates have gone up this year, and they likely there's a good chance they will continue to go up at least into the next year. Um, if you're considering taking on a variable rate debt, then uh, just know that the the monthly payment might rise if interest rates continue to rise. And for those of you that are kind of on the hunt for big purchases you know, things that you may have considered financing in the past, realize that you're not going to have access to as much free money as you used to. Like there's so many things that you could finance at 0% or 1% or 2%, like auto loans, things like that. Um, but you're, the access to that will be more limited. Auto loans are generally higher interest rate as well. So make sure that when you're going into these purchases, you know what that financing situation looks like. And if you're going to be approaching interest rates that are like 7%, 8%, 9%, it may make sense to just try to save up more in cash and either pay for it outright or put down a much larger down payment than you normally would have just to mitigate how much you're, you're paying towards those debts. Um, so it's just a different environment. There's different things to be taking into consideration. And it's really important to have as much information as you can before you really make those decisions. Don't go into it with assumptions. Yeah. And we'll we will adapt, I can promise you. It's it we've seen rates rise very rapidly over the last ten months really. Um and it's if you know going with the mortgage rate because that's an easy one for most people to relate to. If mortgage rates stay around seven percent for the next five years We'll get used to it, and that'll be the new normal. Um, yeah, and and uh, people will adapt accordingly. So, don't uh, again, don't beat yourself up over stuff you can't control. 
Um, yeah, it's there's a bit of that, you know, oh, it was lower, now it's higher, I can't get it anymore type of thing. Um, you know, a little bit of regret, kick yourself, hindsight bias, etc. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, just do what you can with what you have. And again, we talked about there's good things to come from higher interest rates. You get more yield on your investment portfolios, uh, on your cash and your bank account. Um, it just also means you have to be a little bit more prudent with your debt decisions. And I think overall, it's probably a good thing. I don't think being able to access essentially free financing is good for people because it causes them to overextend themselves. Um, and you can kind of see that on a macro level with, with all these tech companies whose stocks have come down drastically and a lot of them have had to lay off people this year because a lot of them just ex overextended cheap financing. We can borrow money at minimal cost, higher, 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 invest in R&D projects. And um, now it's that interest rates are higher. You know, the market's punishing them a little bit because they want to see actual profitable companies uh, to invest in. So, um we just have to be more disciplined uh, with our our budgets and, and our debt uh, our debts. You know, we can't afford to take out a, a super high interest rate loan for a super large amount. It's going to have to be a, a smaller amount. We can still take out a loan. We just got to make sure we can afford the payment on it. So, um, then lastly, think, you know, or go yeah, ahead, Rochelle. Go ahead. As I say on the debt side. <laughs> You know, we go back to order of operations. You know, the most efficient way to get rid of your debts is pay the highest interest rate first. So if you do have higher interest rate debts, pay extra to those and then hold off on the lower interest rate ones. But really try and avoid taking out debts that are over 7 or 8%. Um, or if you do need to take them out, like if you are buying a house and your mortgage is 7%, you know, that's one where maybe we do try and make extra payments on the mortgage if we can afford to do so to pay that down a little bit faster. Um, you know, because that, that interest rate is just eating away at your net worth over time. So yeah. something to consider. The one there. thing about mortgage interest is that it can be tax deductible depending on how you, I mean, that gets really complicated. Like some people take the standard deduction, so it doesn't even matter, but if you are itemizing and you have a lot of interest, like you can potentially get a, a big tax deduction for that higher cost of interest. So, you know, there's, I don't know, it's, it's like a silver lining, I guess. <laughs> it's not good that you're paying 7% interest necessarily, but at least if you could write it off, you're paying a little less in taxes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think there's, you know, a few things you can do to put yourself in a good position. Just make sure you're parking your cash in the right spot. You know, like there's no reason to let it sit in a savings account where you're getting 0.01% interest if you can do some very, very simple 15-minute tasks and open a high-interest savings account and move most of it there. Um, so there's there's a few things that you can do to kind of take advantage of this. And then other than that, like Corey said, just minimize that debt. Minimize especially debt with those higher interest rates that's, that's going to eat away at you a little bit. Yeah. Fun times, interest rates. Who would have thought we would have been talking about this one when we started the podcast a few years ago? But, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Share with your friends. Give us a review. Five-star rating. Much appreciated. We will talk to you next time. 
We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at theaffinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC. 